a Savior. How many centuries passed by where people longed and hoped and prayed for a Savior and could not sing that song. But this morning, they were able to sing out of hope, but a reality. There is a Savior. Praise His name. Turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 24. Last chapter in Luke. This is a story from Luke's account that um, perhaps we would associate with uh, an Easter message. Oftentimes, uh, when we uh, hear sermons uh, about the road uh, to Emmaus, and we, we uh, think about Easter and the celebration of that. And I don't want you to put that out of your mind this morning, but uh, as we are uh, on the last message of this series, um, blessing our neighbors and our community, um, the last S is sharing your story. As we began this, I, I said that I was going to take uh, each of these from uh, the life of Christ and show how he exemplified uh, each of these steps, how he began with prayer. Before he uh, entered into the ministry, he, he went away and he prayed, uh, listening with care, the woman at the well, um, eating together. Of course, uh, many instances where Jesus ate uh, with individuals. Um, and then, of course, uh, serving uh, with care. We shared about the parable of uh, the unjust steward uh, last week, and, but also Jesus' life was full of serving, healing, touching, uh, washing feet, uh, and ultimately giving his life. He exemplified uh, serving. And this morning, uh, what I discovered is that there is not a whole lot of scriptures about Jesus telling his story. But here he does. And so I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. It's a rather lengthy, so uh, if, uh, if uh, you need to stay seated, that's fine. Um, but we're going we're gonna to read the entirety of this story. It begins in verse 13 of uh, Luke 24. That same day to a village called Emmaus, which was about three score furlongs, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together in reasons, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Hast 
not known the things which are come to pass in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto them, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and uh, have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. And he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe and all the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all scriptures and things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village which they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass... As he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave to them. And their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened unto us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon and they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Father, we need your help this morning. We com uh, commit ourselves, our words and our thoughts in our mind to you. We just ask that this morning that you would uh, touch these lips of clay one more time, that we might rightly divide the word of truth, and that you'd be glorified and honored in it. We ask these favors in your perfect name. Amen. You may be seated. What I find amazing about this story that we have read and you're hearing this morning is that all the components of bless are here. He'd just come back from the Father. He began with prayer. He, would, he had already uh, gone up to the Father. Of course, we didn't read that part this, this morning. So he'd begun with, with communing with the Father. He uh, listened to, their, uh, to them. He asked them what's going on. He uh, ate, uh, went to their table to have a meal together. And what I found interesting here is, again, that as we shared, uh, that Jesus uh, followed that same pattern that we talked about of taking the bread, breaking it, blessing it, and giving it to them. And, of course, uh, he served them. He gave them the bread. He served them and, and t teaching them their, about Christ and, and, and uh, opened the scriptures to them. And ultimately, he shared his story. 
about how he was revealed in the Old Testament and how his life and his ministry uh, coincided with the prophecies of the Old Testament. All of the components of bless are actually found in this story. And so I found it to be the perfect text, really, to end our journey together as we think about blessing our community and blessing our neighbors. But one of the things that struck me uh, before I even got into uh, the meat of, of the passage was this. Jesus is doing all of these things not for sinners, but for his disciples. Two of his disciples. And this is what I realized, is that all this that we've been talking about, these things that, that we are doing for outreach and to win others, it's needful for us to continue to do them with each other. That this is not just uh, a program to, uh, for outreach to win people to Christ, but it's a, also a program for keeping the church healthy and keeping our, uh, our people to, uh, as a part of the discipleship. Keeping each other, helping each other as we walk this journey of life. I know that we often... We often say things like, you know, I'll go this way even if I have to go alone. It's a great sentiment, but God never intended us to have to go this way alone. And it's all a lot easier to take any trip, at least in my opinion, when you have somebody to go with you. I've had, uh, when I was dating my wife, I was, we were, what, what was it? We were 12 and a half hours, 13 hours apart. Uh, and I remember that there were a time or two that I had to make the trip either to her place or back home all by myself. And it's a long trip to make it all by yourself. But when she was with me, it wasn't long enough. Actually, it was. We were pretty tired time we got to the end of it. But we enjoyed the journey as we'd talk and uh, we'd share and and, and it just makes the journey so much more enjoyable when you have somebody to go with you. And so, I just would, wanted to, to bring out this morning, before we even really got into the meat of the, of the message, that what we've been learning isn't just about what we're supposed to do with those that are outside of the church, but these are something that we're supposed to be doing with everyone that God has given us to love, and to minister to. We are all called to be priests. And we are all called to shepherd each other and help the others in our congregation to make it. It's not just my job. It's not just the board's job. But it's all of our jobs to be priests, to follow bless with each other. But as I looked at, at this story, and I, as I, especially as I wanted to think about sharing our story, about, about what it means to come and uh, be able to, to finally get to the part that we all were, want to get 
to, right? The part where we give our testimony, the part where we try to, to win them to the Lord, all this, all this other stuff, it seems, you know, it just gets us there. And, and uh, you know, so we're excited about this. And, and what do we find? And, and we find Jesus, first of all, joining their journey. Before he ever tells them anything about himself, he joins their journey. One of the mistakes that I think often we make is we don't try to join people's journeys. We try to short-circuit that and go straight to sharing our story or sharing our testimony or telling them about Jesus. Everything that we've talked about these past few weeks is all about joining other people's journeys. Why don't we do that? Well, I'll tell you one of the reasons that we don't do it is it t it's a high investment. It's a high, it, it, there's a cost to joining other people's journeys. One of the biggest costs to us is the emotional drain that there comes when you join someone else's journey. When you join someone else's journey, that, that means that they have the that they're going to be able to tell you just exactly what they're going through. And that you are interested in hearing about what they're going through. And that can be draining. There's some people that seem to have more problems than they've got anything else. Now, that's not to be critical. I mean, so I, we couldn't have that. that uh, man, they, man, they just got so many problems. I, I, and maybe if they had a better outlook, maybe if they just were, could think a little more positively, maybe, maybe they wouldn't have so many problems. But when we join the journey, we walk side by side. We don't lead them. We don't say, you know, you ought to straighten up. You know, look on the bright side. When we join someone's journey, we walk with them through their bad times and hopefully we get a chance to walk with them through their good times. And how meaningful is that when you join someone's journey? Have you ever had someone join you in the midst of your sorrow and your pain and just walk beside you? If you have, you probably will not forget it. Those hours, those days that so difficult and so painful, those moments that seem like they were, uh, would crush you, and somehow someone comes along and says, let me walk with you. And maybe they didn't have the right words to say. Maybe they even said some dumb things that perhaps they probably shouldn't have said that didn't make it any better at all. But you know what? It was meaningful nonetheless that they were there. That they were there anyways. Fourteen years ago, we were celebrating uh, the dedication of Dennis. We had just dedicated him April 18th. And we had invited to speak and to dedicate Dennis, Reverend John Brewer. Now, I know some of you don't know him. He's the uh, leader of the Western Holiness Association of Churches, not the outfit in Missouri, the, 
a different group. And that was the uh, church that I had gotten saved in, and he had been our, my pastor during my childhood. And they had come, they had... Their daughter Hannah had played the offertory that morning. Beautiful rendition. And Brother Brewer preached a message on Hannah dedicating Samuel to the Lord. That Hannah had their their oldest daughter um, had a fiance, she was about to be married, who lived nearby. They, he, they had come, he had come over and joined us for the meal. My folks were there. Trisha's folks were there. Hannah's fiance and Hannah and their two other children. We had the meal and we said our goodbyes. It was time for IHC and Brother Brewer was on the board of IHC and was making his way that afternoon to a church that was part of the association in Dayton. And they were going to minister there, and Hannah was going to go on home from that, from that point to be able to go to work, and Brother Brewer was going to go on for the board meeting for IHC. They got about an hour, I believe, west of, of our place. Sunday afternoon, they, were, they had had a long day already. Matthew, their boy, was driving and all the family was asleep in the truck. And Matthew fell asleep behind the wheel. As he fell asleep, the truck drifted to the right. He hit one of the signs, woke him up, and he jerked the wheel of the truck and went into the median and flipped the truck. Hannah was thrown from the vehicle and died instantly. Matthew was pretty well okay. His eye uh, had just a few scrapes. Brother Brewer and Sister Brewer were in very serious critical condition as well as their youngest daughter, Bethany. They had to be life-lighted to Columbus, and the trauma was so great that neither, uh, none of the hospitals in Columbus could take all four. Basically, really all three, the three of them that were the worst off. And the university hospital took the adults, and another hospital took Bethany. The trauma was so great. And I'm making a very long story short, but the Lord touched Sister Brewer, and she was able to get out of the hospital that, by, I think, Friday. And Bethany was able to get out maybe a day before that. But Brother Brewer was so damaged that he had to stay in the hospital and miss his daughter's funeral. And I remember I had been there almost all through the week at, uh, at the hospitals trying to journey with them in, in the midst of this sorrow and midst of this pain. And Brother Brewer was under uh, heavy, heavy pain medication. And his parents were there, uh, all, uh, tons of extended family were there, and, and, it was, and it was getting time. They needed to go to the funeral, which would be in Indiana, would be another state over. 
And Brother Brewer's parents were going, they were going to be staying with Brother Brewer to, to make sure he was, had someone there because he was just in awful shape. And many had offered, many had, had said, we will, we'll stay with him so that you can go to the funeral of your granddaughter. And they wouldn't budge. They were there for their son. And finally, I, I made my way to them. I had never met them really before. They may have come to the church when I was a child, but I didn't know them really. They know me. But I went, I went to them. I said, Brother and Sister Brewer, I said, I want, I want to stay with Brother Brewer. I want to stay with him, and you will go on to your daughter's, or granddaughter's funeral. I said, it's good, and it's right for you to be there. And, of course, he told me no. It was his duty to stand by his, his son and make sure that he was taken care of. And I said, listen. I said, when my dad was dying of leukemia when I was a boy, your son walked with my dad through that journey. And he was, even though the hospital was two and a half, three hours away, he was there t- making sure that dad was, had a pastor in the midst of chemo treatments. I said, it's only good and it's only right for me to walk with him now. I said, you go on to the funeral and you let me walk with him as he walked with my dad. And he relented. When someone walks with you in your journey, in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your pain, You don't forget it. And these two that are walking to Emmaus, they thought Jesus was the Messiah. They thought he was going to deliver Israel. They thought that that this was the one. He was a mighty prophet. And certainly this had to be the Messiah. And they're walking and they're heartbroken because they're disappointed that, that... Jesus isn't who they thought he was, but now there's, there's reports coming in that, that, he's, that he's alive and, and they're confused, they're sad, they're broken. And Jesus comes and he come, their eyes, it says, was holding. Uh, Mark says that he came in another form. But Jesus comes disguised and begins to walk with them in the midst of their sadness, in the midst of their confusion, in the midst of their hurt and their pain, Jesus is walking by them. And may I suggest to you that you are to be Jesus disguised? That we are the ones that, that while Jesus has returned and ascended to heaven, that we are Jesus disguised to walk with those that are sad and those that are grieving and those that are, are disappointed and those that are going through the traumas and, and, and confusion of life. We're Jesus disguised. And they may not recognize Jesus in us. 
They may not recognize that, that we are, 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 are Jesus' hands and feet. They may not, may not have any under spiritual understanding whatsoever. Their eyes may be blinded by sin. They may be blinded by ignorance. It may be blinded by other things. But, but whatever their eyes are blinded, it does not excuse us from the responsibility to be Jesus disguised, walking with people on their Emmaus roads. People don't forget it when you walk with them on their Emmaus roads. I hadn't forgotten what Brother Brewer had done for my father when I was only 10. I hadn't forgotten it. And whenever I see Brother Brewer, even though he was so high on, on medication, on pain, that every time he woke up, he had forgotten what happened. And I would have to tell him, as though it were the first time that his daughter had gone to heaven, time after time, having to tell him as though it were the first time. Brother Brewer has never forgotten I walked with him in the midst of that terrible Emmaus road. I'm not saying that to brag on myself. What I'm trying to help us to understand is that if we want to ever get a chance to tell our story, if we ever want to ever get the opportunity to tell what God has done for us, we're going to first have to be Jesus disguised and walk on their Emmaus roads. Remember, I said at the beginning of the message that this isn't just for outreach. This is for each other, too. We need to walk with each other on our, each other's Emmaus roads in our times of confusion and hurt and pain. Folks, this is why we have a church. It's why it's not good enough to just listen on the internet. It's why we need a church so that we have someone to walk with us on our Emmaus roads. We're going to have to join their journey before we ever get a chance to tell our story. Second thing that I noticed, and I found this to be very interesting, before Jesus told his story, he asked them their story first. He asked for their story first. Do you know what most people's favorite topic is? Themselves. Do you know why we like talking about ourselves so well? So well it's, I don't think it's just pride. I think it's because we're pretty knowledgeable on that topic. There's a lot of things that I don't know about. There's a lot of things that I can't really speak intelligently about. But if you ask me about myself, I usually have a, a pretty good experience. I, I think I know quite a bit about myself. My wife's over there probably thinking not as well as you think you do. <laughs> Jesus comes up to them. He's walking with them in the journey. He says, tell me, what are you guys talking about? You're, the way you're, your tone of voice, you're, the things that I, I hear you saying, you, why are you sad? What, what's going on? And Cleopas is like, 
Are you a stranger around here? I mean, it's what Jerusalem's been talking about. Uh, Jerusalem's been a buzz with the crucifixion of this healer, of this prophet. Everyone's talking about this. They're, they're, we all know that the only thing that travels faster than the speed of light is gossip. Everybody knows what's going on. How, how can you not know? It, 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 this, this healer, this, this man from God, he had to come from God because of what he did. We thought he was going to be the Messiah. We thought he was going to. We, we thought he was going to redeem Israel. We, we we thought, but now he's dead. Oh, at least we thought he was, and now he, the, the, there's certain women. Uh, uh, some of our our friends are they're reporting that they've the angels that they've had a vision. I don't know if they were sleeping. I don't I don't know if they got hit in the head. I, we don't know what's going on here, but they claim that they've seen. Angels who've told them that he's alive. And we don't know what to think about this. Wow. And we ought to also remember that in those days, the, way, the testimony of a woman wasn't worth anything. They believed wrongly, but they believed that women were just highly impressionable. We don't know what, we don't know what happened. They may have eaten something strange for breakfast. We don't know. They're just, they're just, they're just confused. They're hurting. They put their lives they've invested in into Christ, and He's. We're not certain if he is who we thought he was. They got to tell their story before Jesus ever told his. We need to be able to, to listen to other people's stories first. If we're really wanting to learn or win people to Christ, if we're really wanting to to show people that we care, we are going to have to let them go first. Tell me your story. Tell me, tell me a, a little bit about yourself. Tell me about your job. Tell me, a, a, tell me about your childhood. Did you go to church growing up? What kind of church was it? What do you think about all that? Ask them about their story. Is this going to happen all in one day? Probably not. People are guarded in our culture. We don't trust people. Take some time to build relationship. And it's one of the biggest reasons we've got to let them tell their story first. They've got to learn to trust us. And until they have an opportunity to share their story, they're probably not interested in yours. Have you ever had someone go on and on and on and on, and you have this thing you want to tell them, but you can't, you can't because they keep talking, and what happens? You 
shut off what they're saying. You're just waiting for them to take a breath so that you can get in what you want to say. If we go on into our story before they have a chance to tell theirs, you know what's going to happen? They're going to shut us off while they think about their stories. We talk about a Savior who forgives sin, but you don't know well, how bad I've sinned. You don't know how far I've gone. Well, if you'd ask them their story first, maybe you would. You, you don't know, uh, you know, you talk about God as a father, but, but you don't know how my father treated me. If you've listened to their story, maybe you would. You see, when we listen to their story first, that really informs us. We're, we're, get, we're showing them preference. We're showing them that we want to hear what they have to say, but we're also informing ourselves. It can keep us from saying perhaps those unhelpful things. Finally, I'd suggest that Jesus shared his story meaningfully. I told you that, this, that the, really there isn't anywhere else in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where Jesus really tells his story. Most of the places he, he's telling parables, he's telling stories, but not his story. And yet here we have Jesus going through, going all the way back to Moses and the prophets. And he's, and he's, and wouldn't you have loved to have heard that sermon? I mean, that'd be good, wouldn't it? I, I just would love to, to, to just be able to be invisible and walk beside Cleopas and his friend and uh, Jesus as Jesus is telling his story. I wonder if he said, you know, uh, you remember back in when Moses was, uh, had the children of Israel and they were hungry and they, they needed uh, food and, and bread. Manna came from heaven. I want you to know the Messiah is the bread of life. Or perhaps you remember Moses that there's a rock and, and they're thirsty and, and he struck the rock and, and out came water. I want you to know the, the Messiah is living water. Or maybe you'd think back to, uh, you know, uh, uh, the three Hebrew children who were thrown in the fire and there was a fourth man there that stood with them in the flames. I want you to know the Messiah is the one who walks with them in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their trial. That's the Messiah. That's the, uh, that's the one. I don't know what all Jesus said. I'm just, I'm just speculating here this morning. But I'm just trying to help us to understand that this is going to be some good story. And he shared it meaningfully. He spoke the words that Cleopas and his friend needed to hear in that moment. And your story will probably change. Not the, not the facts of it. Not that you're changing uh, uh, the truth or exaggerating. But there's going to be aspects of your story that will emphasize because they need to hear that. Because they've shared with their story, uh, their story and you, you recognize that, 
that they didn't have a good father. And so you want to share about how God has been the perfect father for you. And how God was different than the father they had. Or perhaps they, they would talk about how deep into sin they went. And maybe you talk about and share with them how you went into sin. And how you thought there was no hope that, that God would forgive you. And, and yet God did forgive you. You would emphasize, you would tell the story as it is meaningful to them where they are. So oftentimes, we want to tell people the gospel. We want, to, we want to tell it the way that, you know, you need to measure up. And you got to, and, and if you're living that way, it's going to be, you know, you're going to be in trouble. And, and, and uh, you're going to suffer in the way of the transgressor's heart. You know, sometimes they need to hear that. But it needs to be meaningful. It needs to be Meaningful. Are those the words that they need to hear right now? I was a young preacher in my first church. Still very green. Didn't really know what I was doing. One of the ladies in my church died. And they asked me if I'd do the prayer. They, they had another preacher that they wanted to do the funeral, which was fine. I, didn't take that as a slight at all. We had we'd been there with the family, and she died just I think just after midnight or just before. And we'd been there all night with them, and we'd walked with them through that journey. And and here we are at the funeral. I I did the prayer thing, and we're at the funeral home, and they had me sit up front to the side. And the preacher that for the hour got behind the pulpit. And when I said for the hour, I'm not kidding. It, I think it was an hour and a half maybe that he preached. And he said no words of encouragement. His message, they had four backslidden children. And his message to them was, and I'm taking an hour and a half sermon and boiling it down. But this was his message, and he said these words, unless you get right, you're never going to see your mother again. After the sermon, he moved the flowers and asked the children if they would kneel there in the front of their mother's casket and pray. None of them did. The message that he had that day was cruel. It was cruel. I was embarrassed to be sitting up there. I, didn't, I don't think I'd ever even preached a funeral message at that point, but I, was, I knew that wasn't the way to do it. None of them went to the altar. They finally dismissed. Of course, the family goes through. Fam children are last to be up there. And the oldest boy, under the weight of losing his mom and under the cruelty of that preacher, collapsed and we had to carry him out of that church. The emotional strain, he could not even bear himself up. It was a cruel message. Was it true? It was true. I can't tell, I cannot say that he, what he preached was wrong, 
But what I will say is he did not preach a meaningful and right-spirited message. We are told to speak the truth in love. Proverbs tells us that a, a good word, a fit word, is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. And he did not have the heart of a pastor that day. He had a message and he was going to give it. And he was going to give it in the way he wanted to give it and not the way it needed to be heard. I've never forgotten that message. I've forgotten many parts of it. It was too long to remember all of it. But I've never forgotten the lesson of that day. We need to have the right attitude when we speak. We need to have the right spirit when we speak truth. Whether it's with our children or our spouses, whether it's with uh, people in the church or whether it's people outside of the church, we need to have a good word, a fit word, a loving word. You don't think there's times to be straight? No, I think there's a lot of times to be straight. We studied James. James shoots straight. There's times to be straight. But there's a, it seems to me like there's a whole lot more times to be gentle. And when we're walking with people on their journey, and when we've allowed them to share their story first, do you know what happens? It becomes easier for us to give the right words with the right spirit. You know, I know a lot of people don't don't share their story because they're afraid of messing it up. But you know, I think it's, it's a, a, a more terrible thing to never share your story at all. To not tell them at all. I was speaking with an individual recently and it seemed to me that they, and I'm not a doctor, but it seemed to me that they had skin cancer. And I said something to them. I said, that, you need to really get that checked out. That doesn't look good. And they began to tell me about how quickly it has grown and so forth. And I said, that really scares me. I really think that is. And they said, we're not interested in getting it checked out. We'd rather not know. I think that's a crueler fate than knowing. I don't, I don't want anyone to get to the judgment, to stand before God, and for them to say, Jeremy had an opportunity to tell me, but he didn't. I might have chosen differently. I, I, don't, I don't want them to, to turn to me and say, why didn't you tell me? And, I, and for me to say, well, I was afraid I'd mess it up. I, I was afraid I wouldn't do it right. The end result's the same. You know, witnessing, following blessed, all of these components that we talked about is like anything else. If you want to get better at it, you've got to practice. 
And there's going to be times that you may mess it up. And there's going to be times that perhaps you're going to feel like you failed and that you wish you had said this way or that thing or wish you had left that out. But that's why we begin with prayer. Because even when we mess it up, the Holy Spirit knows how to fix it. And even if we don't do it just perfect, the Holy Spirit's able to take our words and He's able to help them to hear it the way it ought to be. As we end this series, I just would like to challenge us. Let's not wait until the living nativity in December. Let's not wait until we have another push for VBS or, or some other ministry that's organized by the church. But let's take what we've learned these past few weeks and let's live them every single day. Every single day. Lord, I'm beginning with prayer. And I'm asking you, help me to find someone that I can listen to. If someone in, in my life, if there's somebody at the job, if there's someone that's carrying a heavy burden, would you help me to find them and to be able to hear their story and join in their journey? Lord, I, help, me to, help me to be able to sit down in, at the lunchroom with somebody who needs a friend. Help me to invite someone over, over this week uh, that, that needs an encouragement. That needs a, that just needs a, a friend. Help me to find a way to serve someone today in a simple way, or maybe a big way. Every single day is an opportunity to be Jesus' hands and feet. We're all called to be priests, not just the pastors, not just the board. But all of us are called to win souls for Jesus. And it's my hope and it's my prayer that each one of us will take this job and be serious about it. Because there's a world that's hungry. There's a world that's lost. It's a world that needs Jesus. Let's stand together.